RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. distance i mean it's it's been good we've, we've gotten into kind of a rhythm with closing distance and and interviewing or interrogating jeff mostly senior pastor and so uh yeah so jeff senior pastor at roswell Presbyterian church and and today i'm the one that gets to interview him dan christ associate pastor for mission outreach and we've been in the throes of quite a long and and pretty deep dive into the confessions of our our tradition and so we've been from the very beginning from from the, the initial creeds and now we're kind of working our way through some of the stuff that happened in the reformation and now we're into the the 20th century and so this week jeff you you kind of unpacked a little bit of the barman confession or the Barman Declaration. So do you, do you want to just, for those maybe who missed Sunday or just want a little bit more of an understanding of what that was, can you just explain that to us a little bit? Yeah, the Theological Declaration of Barman was written um, by the Confessing Church or the leaders of the Confessing Church um, in 1934 in response to the rise of Nazi socialism in Germany and Hitler. And Hitler took on kind of the form of an idol uh, for the German people. And so, and even the, the so-called German Christians, both Protestant and Catholic, uh, supported Hitler. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, pretty much, almost um, universally. And the people that resisted became known as the Confessing Church. And their kind of central theological document was the Barman Declaration that uh, declares that Jesus Christ is the only one who... Uh, is God's spokesperson who reveals who God is to us. Right. So you touched on it just in that introduction there, but in, in reality that the church really accepted Hitler as, as a, the, their leader in many ways. And, and you showed uh, on Sunday, you actually showed a, an image, a, a clip of, of the altar with, Nazi symbols, draped in Nazi symbols and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, to us looking at now just is very stark and, and almost stomach churning, but they saw no, no issue with that at all. Yeah. Well, the general church did, except for this confessing church was like, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> what, yeah. what is happening? And this was early. So, I mean, this is 33. This is before, you know, he had really taken power and really showed all his cards so to speak and and demonstrated what he was really about and they even then recognized this is this is not 
Right. So uh, unpack if you if you know, which I'm sure you do, because you're a very smart man. Like, how did that confession get to be part of the PCUSA's confessions? Um, I forget when they voted on it, but I think it's because it's a reformed confession. Uh, Karl Barth was the principal writer of it. Um, such an important figure for Presbyterians and reformed thinking worldwide, but it's also in America. And so I, I, I don't even know what year it was adopted actually into our book of confessions, but um, I, it, it's been around, it's been in there since I've been a Presbyterian, <laughs> which, which is, is not, not that long, really. Which is not that long, probably. <laughs> uh, since when did I become, in 2001 was when I became Presbyterian, so 20 years. Right. But one of the things so, I think I, I just want to highlight is um, that I think is so important about the Barman Declaration is it, it, it's it's a warning to not conflate um, patriotism and our confession of faith and religion um, and be really careful about that because you know going back hundreds of years Martin Luther was German. Right. And so and so Lutheranism became kind of the official religion of of Germany. And to be German was to mean you were Lutheran. Right. Or it, if you were Lutheran. And so there was this conflation of religion and uh, nationalism. And I think the Barman Declaration is a real warning sign for those of us that might be tempted to conflate um, our patriotism with our religion. Right. And that was my, my next question to you was going to be, so what does it speak to us today? I mean, that, none of us would, you know, would accept Nazi symbols in our sanctuary, obviously. And we will probably put ourselves in a position that had we been there in Germany at that time, oh, we definitely would have, you know, recognized how that was, was not correct, not right, and was, you know, an anathema, if you like. Yeah. But we, we are... Uh, we, I don't think we feel the same way when, I mean, it's not unusual to go into churches around the United States and see our flag in the sanctuary and that kind of stuff. And so this is a warning to that as well. And it's not saying that patriotism isn't valid or you, you know, to be a Christian means to be unpatriotic. It's just saying they're not the same thing and they should not be, like you said, conflated or confused. And, and it was certainly... Uh, when the church kind of accepted Hitler as their leader as such and Nazism as as ordained by God, there was a whole lot of conflation and confusion of, you know, again, how did they get there, do you think? I mean, if you if you know the, the Weimar Republic and you know kind of uh, World War One and the end of World War One and the huge inflation that they faced and all that kind of stuff, they were they they were a downtrodden people. And then Hitler comes along. And so for many of them, they see him as redemption. And so that, that whole theme of redemption and the connection with, with our faith and, and God's use of redemption through, through Christ just became, yeah, yeah, confused. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, I mean, it's still kind of a mystery to me, like how in the world this could become. But I think people were very good at deluding themselves. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I think it's easy, it's, it, or it can be easy to, to look back on history 
and from our vantage point and think, oh, I would never have cited right. or I never would have done this or that. Right. And I think we've got to be very careful and be humble about looking back at history, but also we need to be humble about our own kind of uh, perceived moral righteousness or moral rightness. Um, and because in the future, people may have a very different perspective on our lives and our decisions. Absolutely. Yeah, it's easy for us to look back and say, oh, I would never have been a slaveholder or I never would have whatever. And so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Look at them and look at those people and say, we need to cancel them. Right. You know, we can't have anything to do with any of our ancestors because I wouldn't have been like that. And they were, they were bad people. I'm a good person, but you're uh -huh. like projecting forward. How are people going to view our, our generation? Like what were they doing? Right. How are and we going to be canceled for things that we think are wrong? And I think that's one of the cool things about this series has been looking at those creeds and confessions. Cause I think sometimes at least when I preach, I mean, I'll try to bring in some history here or there, but I, it's not really rooted oftentimes in history. And these right. creeds and confessions are so historically rooted yeah. in, a, um, in a specific time and a specific place that it's been really fun to look back and try to get our minds around what it was like then, um, what gave birth uh, to these creeds and confessions. And then, and once we kind of wrestle with that, then to say, okay, now how does this still speak to us today? Right. So I think in this one in particular, at least for me, and as we lead in the 20th century, uh, the confessions that, that come that are accepted in the 20th century tend to be more political. We often think of, we like to think of the church as apolitical, like outside politics, but the church is a very political place. Jesus was very political. They didn't kill him because he was a religious teacher. They, they killed him because he was, was stirring up the the politics of the time of, of who was in power and who was in control and how that was demonstrated so um in the united states i think we have this idea you know our our nation was founded on christian principles and all that kind of stuff but but the church is not one with government right right they're they're separate entities. matter of fact the church is to act as as the it's a conscience of the government in many ways. You know, we're, we're the ones that are there to kind of say, hey, this isn't, this isn't right. Or these people aren't being looked after or all those kind of things. I mean, so talk to us a little bit about that. Like how, how should the church be acting as conscience and how should we uh, keep those lines really clear between our patriotism and, and our, our, our allegiance to government and our faith and our experience in church? Yeah, I, I mean, that's a great question. I, I, I mean, so the separation of church and state is really a post-enlightenment, some, you know, post-17th century kind of uh, political and sociological phenomenon. And a, a lot of it came out of um, the Reformation. And like, I mean, book four, I think, of Calvin's Institutes is very much about kind of the separation of powers. Um, and, uh, and I think... And so today, I think the church needs to bear witness, but it needs to speak. And sometimes it will challenge the state um, in various ways, I think. But it needs to speak with its own voice. And I think Barman says its foundation needs to be Jesus Christ. And our proclamation is rooted in Scripture as Scripture bears witness to its center, who is Jesus. Um, and then, and then, so 
there's going to be political implications, I think. Um, and there are certain faith traditions that are maybe a little bit more political than I personally am. I, I think we, especially at a place like RPC, we've got pretty smart folks that I think can um, intuit, you know, the implications of a certain theological insight or application. And so sometimes I like to to get up to the edge, but then let other people say, okay, how is this going to be lived out on the ground? Or how should this impact the way I vote or serve? Because I don't, um, I don't, I, I'm, my, my chief identity or central identity is not as a political figure. Um, and I've got strong political views about a lot of different things, but I also um, know myself well enough that I'm probably wrong in a lot of those. So I, <laughs> I try to stick to uh, proclaiming Jesus first. Right. So there's nearly a 500 year gap between, between these confessions. Like, you know, we have a whole bunch of confessions that come out of the Reformation. And then there's this long period where there's really nothing for whatever reason. There's nothing new that at least is, there's other writings, obviously, but nothing that's accepted into our understanding of the book of confessions. Yeah. So again, what, what do you think that caused that gap or why was there that gap? And then why all of a sudden does Bart and, and this confessing church feel like it's time? Because it's well, not as if Hitler was the first difficulty in that 500 year period. There's all sorts of stuff going on. Right. Um, so, I mean, I think, so I just pulled out, I've got this lovely book called, uh, creeds of the churches a reader in christian doctrine from the bible to the present and there you know there's all sorts of confessions you got baptist creeds methodist creeds cambridge platform you got roman catholic creeds um all sorts of down you know and and our church tradition has decided to only take out some of those um creeds that are authoritative for us to help us read scripture and i think it's because they're they're um, really salient. They've really stuck out in history. So Barman was at such a critical time in history when we think about uh, Nazi Germany, but uh, the Holocaust, um, you know, and I think, you know, tot you know, totalitarianism as, you know, I'm thinking Hitler, Stalin, um, these kinds of figures is a modern phenomenon. I think about Hannah Arendt's book, uh, Totalitarianisms. Um, and so I think, I think the Barman uh, Declaration is really important, um, and that's one of the reasons it found its way into our Book of Confessions. Right. Um, and I'm not sure, like, what other times in in history in the past 300 years since the Reformation till now? Um, I don't know what else would have stood out. I don't know. I, I don't. I mean, know. You think about that's the period starting in the mid 1600s that the, the slave trade starts you would think again it took a while and, and england was kind of the first but there was not a, a unifying confession that hey this is wrong you know which again certainly could have been for a, an issue like that right that's actually a great question because you had i'm looking to see um hey you don't really have I'd have to do some, there may have been like some Anabaptist confessions, um, but I have to go and look. 
but that'd be interesting to see if like William Wilberforce or somebody like that wrote right. um, a confession. Yeah, which would have been the 1700s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But like, so this one um, that we're going to look at this coming week, the Confession of 1967, deals with some of those issues in uh, the Belhar Confession, which you're going to deal with uh, the next week. It also, those issues right. around race are, are, are very relevant. Yeah. And as I mentioned to you earlier, we were talking about preparing for this, that the Barman Confession is really the precursor to both of those. For whatever reason, it, it, it woke up the church or allowed aspects of the church to say, hey, you know, this is like that was for, for the confessing church, this situation. So the, the Belhar Confession is about South Africa and apartheid. And the, again, conflation of the church with apartheid and the church actually theologically endorsed the system of apartheid. Right. And some people in the church said, hang on a minute. Yeah. You know, that does not work. You can't. That's, that's their like they do not work together you can't right. use the, incompatible the theology of god to to support oppression and, and separation and all that kind of stuff and again same with the, the declaration of 1967 very similar kind of again coming out of the civil rights movement in the united states and all that kind of stuff but it was the barman confession or the, the statement that actually kind of led to the that thinking in a whole lot of ways yeah it's interesting it is interesting. And it's going to be interesting to see, I think, maybe not in our lifetime, but maybe in our kids' lifetime, um, that like we're living in a more post-Christendom context. Like, you know, in Germany, when Barman was written, the church had a real cultural power and authority and force in that society. And the church as an institution is just has less and less um power and authority yeah. and so i think one of the things we're going to have to wrestle with is how how do we deal it's going to be much more like a first second third century church than it is um a 20th century church i think in the next 100 200 years uh, and and as the power center for the christian church moves from the no global north to the global south yeah i think that's gonna be really interesting when um when when that's really where our thinking and the power is going to be coming from, um, it'll be interesting to see how that impacts, uh, you know, the American church and American Christians. Yeah. I wonder what you think. I have a friend who's a Lutheran pastor in, in Germany and talks about, you know, the, like most Western areas that the church is in decline and it doesn't have the influence that it has. Just as you said that, it made me wonder whether, their support of Hitler and Nazism and all that kind of stuff was the beginning of, of that collapse. Because as people came out of World War II, they realized the church supported us. And now we realize what that was. And they, you know, potentially turned their backs on it. And it, if maybe that's why that happened and, and a caution to us here, even in the United States. What do you think? I definitely think so. I mean, I think, um, I mean, religion, like has been used to justify a lot of horrible um, things in, in history by humans. And I think, you know, there's that phrase of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Um, and like, I think some people, they think like, oh, I'm gonna get rid of religion, um, whether I'm gonna become an agnostic or an atheist, and then I won't be impacted by it. Well, 
just because it's not Christianity or Islam or Mormonism, religion comes dressed up in all sorts of, um, you know, clothes. And that's like I used that David Foster Wallace quote on Sunday because he's not a Christian, but he brings, right. he, he observes things like beauty, power, intelligence, having religious function that we worship these, these idols um, and they enslave us. And I think that's one of the reasons I want to use that is because um, it's such a great quote and such a great writer, but also because you don't need to be explicitly religious to be impacted by religious kinds of things, or you don't need to, it doesn't need to be a God. Um, it can be small G God and an idol uh, that can impact right. you. Yeah, absolutely does. There, everyone is religious, whether they're you know, pursuing, yeah, a higher being. You know, right a god as such that we are religious about all sorts of different things you know? yeah yeah absolutely so i'm curious i mean is there anything else specifically about barman that you think we need to unpack because i've got some questions kind of more about confessions as we kind of conclude the next couple of weeks of of this series but anything else specific about barman that you think is relevant to us or maybe that we should be thinking about or pursuing in our own thought um, I think, you know, I, I so uh, kind of t tangentially related, several people have asked me like a books to read by Carl Bart. <laughs> Somebody like went and bought, I think, a volume of the dogmatics and they're like, Jeff, this is total nonsense. I, have, I cannot make sense of it. And he, he's kind of like learning another language. It takes a while. Yeah. To of it. But I would recommend his dogmatics in outline. It's a short uh, monograph, maybe 120 pages. And it's his commentary. Uh, it's a, group, a series of lectures he gave on the Apostles' Creed. I think it's just a really, really lovely book. Um, and then of that time, I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer's uh, biography by Charles Marsh, Strange Glory, is a fantastic yeah, book. That's really good. Um, and it's really philosophically and theologically informed, where, where a lot of folks, stuff out there just um, doesn't get kind of what Bonhoeffer was up to. Um, so I think those two books are really fantastic um, and kind of bearing, you see a little bit more thoroughly maybe what uh, impact Barman made and some of the stuff that's behind it. Um, and then also just to know about the cultural um, and historical kind of events of mid 20th century Germany is helpful. So we have these last three confessions. We do Barman's coming out of 19... 30s we're going to do uh you know the one this week was the, the declaration of 1967 and then the week after that we conclude with the belhar which is originally 1986 and accepted by our denomination in 2004 i think or 2005 something like that yeah and so my my question to you is i mean we've had these three pretty significant events if you like and responses to what was happening in the world do you think maybe there's there's space or maybe it's time for another type of confession? And if so, where do you think that would come from? Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I, I mean, I, several, uh, several places. I think, I think um, we could write a confession about creation care. I think mm -hmm. in environmental um, movements, you know, uh, you know, when we think about how we're treating the earth and, um, I think there's uh, some ways that 
we, we could be better stewards of creation that's given to us. I think economics, I think, you know, when you think about how many people in the world are living on less than $2 a day, um, is, there, is there something to be said for uh, economic justice, uh, taking care of uh, the poor, um, the economically uh, disadvantaged? I think, um, you know, think, you know, I think the world is becoming ever more globalized and what we do, especially in America, impacts people all over the world. Um, I was just reading an article about, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal about uh, Chinese fishing boats are fishing off of uh, Central and Latin American coasts and are, are, <laughs> are, are fishing up all the fish and it's impacting yeah. people, uh, fishermen. Yep. Uh, you know, in that in the, those economies, but also people's access to food, and so I think um, there's always these are kind of op opportunities to think theologically about how does what is God's call to take care of creation, um, and what are what are our theological commitments on being stewards um, and sharing of our wealth and resources. So I think those are the areas that kind of stick out to me right now. Yeah. They're big ones. You're right. Yeah. So I hope get busy writing, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, <I do. laughs> so, I mean, you, you thought up for, I don't know what was in your thinking at the time when you said, Hey, we need to do a whole, a long series on the confessions of our church. And so usually you kind of put stuff a year out. So you're kind of thinking about things. So maybe then when you're initially thinking about it, and now that you've been in it and kind of seen the response, what's your hope for what our congregation and those that are listening to these messages will take away, will understand from this whole series? Well, I, I mean, first, I just hope that people are like, oh, I didn't realize we had a book of confessions. Right. Like, okay. <laughs> there's that first just, oh, that's cool. And then second, I think, I hope that people will return to it. It's for free at PCUSA.org. Um, and there's a PDF, it's easily searchable. That if you have a question like, why did Jesus have to die? Well, our confessions answer that. Uh, our catechisms have questions uh, that, that answer these questions. Um, you know, what is, what's the ministry of the Holy Spirit? How can I see where the Holy Spirit's working? Um, What's our call? Uh, you know, how are we supposed to serve our neighbor? Like these just like kind of common questions that I think a lot of people have, but they, they think they're the only ones that they're the A, the only person that's asking it or B, no one's ever asked it before. And I know when I encountered the confessions and the catechisms, I was like, oh, you mean people in the, the 14th century were asking the same questions I was and people were like yes Jeff you're not the first person to ask this question it was like oh my gosh I found it so comforting to know that right. people really thoughtful good-hearted intelligent folks have been really wrestling with these questions and issues for a long time and I was not alone <laughs> right that that's good news yeah I agree and there's good answers you know maybe it doesn't it's not going to resolve them totally but like um i remember uh the dialogue between religion and science and one of our um catechisms it says you know uh these are two dogs in different races <laughs> and right. and they don't they're in conversation with one another but they're not um competing with one another right and that was like oh okay these are two totally different ways of looking at the world and 
um, and they're doing different things. And as soon as you understand that, it calms a lot of your fears and anxieties. At least it did for me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's amazing. And I think for me, one of the highlights of this whole series has been that as you're dealing with these things, particularly those things that are coming from, you know, well outside of our, our time period, how relevant some of the questions are that they're dealing with. You think, ah, oh, those people 500 years ago or when you're writing that, you know, the Nicene Creed and all that kind of stuff, they, you know, their lives are completely different, but they weren't in so many ways. That, that humanity is humanity. And yes, we are now, you know, closing the distance via cell phone and, and computer, that's changed. But the deep questions that we've always had about who we are, who, who God is, how God wants us to live and, and work in the world, are absolutely relevant and absolutely. yeah they do wrestle with things i mean some of them are i mean to be honest some of them are pretty tricky reading it's a little dense sometimes you know you get into the helvetic confession and all that kind of stuff you're like whoo that's a deep dive <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I mean it's been really helpful i think that that you've at least highlighted what you thought were were key points of those and i unpacked each one on a on a surface level at least yeah uh, to let us know that again as you as you stated that the questions that we have are not new that we're not the first or the only that have had these questions the, the church in the reformed tradition and otherwise has been wrestling with these things from the beginning yep. and we see that in the writings of paul and it's just carried on to today yeah i've learned it's been so fun for me because i get to do all this research and i've learned all this stuff that I didn't know before and so it's been really fun and i hope other folks have enjoyed it too half as much as i have yeah well i for one have enjoyed it so if, if that's if that counts for anything there we go there we go thanks dan <laughs> well good well again i've appreciated your time you know let us know so this week is give us a precursor to your your last sermon in the series and then you, you drop it off to me to kind of you know finish things off yeah, I left in good hands. No, it's Confession 1967. Um, we're going to ask the question, um, I think I titled it, oh, you know, which, what part of the, you know, what did Jesus come to save? <laughs> what part of life did he come to save? And I think a lot of us, whether we are explicit about it or not, we have an implicit kind of belief that there's like a religion, there's like religious part of our life and then kind of a secular part of our life or a sacred part of the world and a secular part of the world. There's a world uh, that God cares about and then there's a world that we, we kind of care about, that God doesn't care about. And I want to um, kind of expose that as a lie and that the confession of 1967 says, no, 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 God cares about it all. And so we're going to think through that. And uh, I think it's kind of prophetic but I think it'll be really helpful that God cares about all of life. And like you said earlier, that all of life is spiritual. All right. Good. Is there anything we should be reading to prepare for that? Or you just want to, you know, keep us ignorant until Sunday morning. <laughs> the news. <laughs> I think it'll be fine. Yeah. Okay. If people don't read it, we'll unpack it on Sunday morning. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. And, yeah. Well, thank you again, Jeff, for your time and again Thanks, for Liz. for the effort and, and energy that you put into this this sermon series. We're we're all very appreciative. Thanks, Dan. I'll all see right. you soon, brother. All right. See ya. Thanks, buddy. Bye bye.